Welcome to the Mindful Dietitian interview series. I'm Fiona Sutherland, dietitian from Melbourne, Australia and director of the Mindful Dietitian. Please join me as I interview dietitians from all over the world who are experts in health at every size, the non-diet approach and mindfulness-based practice. These are a collection of interviews by a dietitian for dietitians and nutritionists so that we can build a strong community of wonderful professionals who share an inclusive vision of well-being for everybody in everybody. Thanks so much for joining me. Hello, and thank you so much for joining me for this episode of the Mindful Dietitian interview series. So I had the most enormous pleasure in speaking with our colleague, LA-based dietitian, Robin Goldberg, who has a 20-year experience uh, working in the field of eating disorders. And she also uh, has a really interesting mix of clients uh, who do have comorbid conditions or who also have um, addictions as well. So I asked her quite a lot about that because I think that as dietitians, we can learn a lot from the field of addictions without necessarily being drawn into the more dichotomous ideas of uh, of addiction treatment. Um, Robin shares with us some absolutely gorgeous stories and analogies and examples that, um, that I will definitely be taking into practice myself. So I'll be interested to hear which is your favourite as well. Um, so Robin can be found at www.askaboutfood.com. And um, I, I just love talking to Robin. She has such a depth of experience and um, has some really, really interesting interesting things to share. So I really hope you enjoy this episode. So on the Mindful Dietitian website, you'll find constantly updated calendars, calendars which um, has lots of events and um, workshops and and hopefully some things in your local area. And if not, then please don't worry. Or if you're, you know, maybe at home with some young kids and you're lucky to get five minutes to yourself, then maybe online learning is for you. So again, there's uh, plenty of opportunities there for online learning from uh, from fellow dietitians from all around the world, including Megret Fletcher, Marcy Evans, myself, uh, Fiona Willer. There's you know lots of opportunities there, and I think it's just wonderful to be able to support our like-minded colleagues. Okay, so let's move on to hear from Robin Goldberg, LA-based dietitian, eating disorder specialist, and health at every size clinician. Hello, mindful dietitians, and welcome back to another episode of the interview series. Today, it is such a pleasure to speak with our wonderful colleague, eating disorder specialist, Robin Goldberg. And did you know that she loves to be known as Robin Goldberg 90210 because she's from Beverly Hills, Los Angeles. So hello to you, Robin. Hi, Fiona. Thank you for having me. And can I ask, was 90210 one of your favorite series growing up? I have to ask. Well, I have to say I was in college when it came on. So now I'm, I'm dating myself. So, <laughs> so, so growing up, um, now I'm really dating myself. Actually, it was the Brady Bunch and Happy Days and Laverne and Shirley. I don't know if you had those shows in, in um, Australia. Oh, but, we, but, yep. Um, yep, we yeah. sure did. Mm-hmm. I was... Yes, I was older when that show came out. Actually, yeah, but but can I? Are you are you a little afraid to admit that actually you did take a sneaky peek at it, even though you were a little bit older? Of course, I took a peek at it because <laughs> when when they show the high school, because I actually went to Beverly Hills High School too. Um, it was not the high school, and it was a complete, you know, mock of it. So, um, of course, I was curious, I might add. <laughs> Excellent. No, it's always good to see familiar places around, isn't it? So, oh, well, there you go. I just found that out about Robin, and so I had to, you know, I had to, uh, had to put you in the hot seat there a little bit. Uh, so, Robin, <laughs> I guess just to get us started off, tell, tell, tell us a little bit about your, your career leading up, up to now. So I've, I've been in private practice for 20 years, and I actually started my career at a major medical center. 
um, in Los Angeles. It's called Cedar Sinai Medical Center. And I was there for five years and I began my career as um, a cardiac dietitian. Actually, when people had chest pain, they would see me and then transition to the Department of Gastroenterology. And it was you know, fantastic experience to be able to do that for five years. And I actually knew from day one I wanted to be in private practice, but I believed it was certainly necessary to obtain clinical experience before, you know, hanging my shingle, um, especially in the, you know, community. And, you know, for me, it was really about like year three of working at the hospital when I started my, my practice. I actually had um, run an eating disorder IOP, intensive outpatient program locally, which I ran for close to nine years. I actually started it. I was the nutrition director at it and then had a few, a few body image groups at um, several female sober living houses in Los Angeles is you know, a large part of my practice is seeing clients with their body image issues and eating disorders that are in recovery um, and currently have a history of addiction. Mm-hmm. So that's, you know, been another element of my practice. And, you know, over my career, I've been teaching, it's coming on um, 17 years. I, I teach classes for the motion picture industry. Some of them now we've been able to incorporate actually like how to give up dieting, which has been fantastic because they were all medical at first. So they've allowed me to, you know, wove in intuitive eating and really how to help people change their outlook and relationship around food. Because as as you can probably imagine, a lot of the attendees, they're all, um, you know, cameramen and grips people, people in that industry. And I think they deal with the same kinds of stressors that anyone else does. And I think it's important for them to obtain that kind of knowledge base too. Yeah, absolutely. It's really, that's really different, isn't it? So you're working with a, with quite a few different communities. I wanted to ask you a little bit about your work, um, particularly in addictions. So, um, how do you how do you weave together kind of your 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 knowledge and your expertise in working with people who struggle with food? What do you notice are the some of the similarities or differences with with people that struggle with other kinds of substance use? Well, I, f- I find definitely individuals with addictions. You know, perhaps they had had an eating disorder before they became sober, but mm-hmm. that took the backbeat is their history of alcohol and or substance abuse was the main you know, circumstance that rose to the surface. Mm-hmm. And I think it's, it's so common that individuals will want results instantly. Um, there's actually a quote that I use you know, regularly in, in a presentation that I use on eating disorders and addiction, actually quoted by um, our dear friend, Adrian Ressler, who's such a fantastic social worker at the Renfrew Center. And, you know, she has a, a quote from um, Social Worker Today magazine, and it's, you know, this is so true. The high is never high enough, the scale is never low enough, and the mirror is never good enough. Mm-hmm. And how the individuals always looking for, you know, gratification at such a, a fast rate. And so I have found with, you know, these clients over the years that they really have to be at their bottom with whether it's, compulsive exercising or binging or binging and purging, restricting, whatever their eating disorder may be to have surrendered to want to make a change. And it has to come from them since the the clients that come to me are typically being brought over with a sober companion or from a sober living. And Mm -hmm. it's typically inquired from that individual versus if if someone's being told they have to see someone like me, they're really going to be a one hit wonder. Yeah. So for dietitians who may meet somebody for the first time and they may be presenting with an eating disorder and it becomes apparent that there might be also another concurrent, um, some other concurrent difficulties around drug and alcohol use, what would be your recommendations in terms of that? Would you be kind of working alongside another specialist counsellor or would you want to prioritise 
um, the other substance use or what, what, how would you work with that? Well, I always collaborate with teams. I would never take somebody on alone. Um, and I think it's so common that, you know, individuals perhaps that would find me, let's say through my website would innocently think like, Oh, I'm going to see a registered dietitian. And, and, and then I ask like, do you have a therapist that you see or a psychiatrist, et cetera. So if, if I find that they are not coming to me from a sober living or an addiction treatment center, um, I will absolutely refer them to another clinician. And if they are not open, you know, of course to that, then, you know, I'll let them know. It's just like really not ethically appropriate for me to take them on just with myself. You know, the, the piece, you know, you asked about with the addiction, Fiona's, um, you know, an individual I have really found, and I'll, and I'll just say this, is that, you know, I got into the addiction element because of my husband, who's actually coming up on 24 years of being clean and sober. Mm -hmm. So, you know, having that experience and, and, you know, living with an addict and, you know, through all the years of myself of, you know, going to Al-Anon meetings, um, I, you know, have, have learned, I mean, individual has to have, I mean, a minimum, and this is not even much time of 90 days of sobriety to be able to even look at how to even, you know, address the food element because, after an individual, let's say, detoxes and begins, you know, again, we're starting with mechanical eating. We're, we're very distant from intuitive eating because there's so much impulsiveness and, and significant cravings. And after, like, let's say an individual detoxes, um, then they're ultimately over time, like, I think mechanical eating is very necessary to help one facilitate to become in touch with the different levels of hunger and fullness and really learn how to understand just the mechanics of how their body works because there's so much of a disconnect. Um, and I see this with, with clients. I see this from even, you know, my husband before he was my husband and just how, you know, food choices just organically change within the individual. So, I think that person has to have enough time of sobriety under their belt to be able to be able to work with someone like you or I. Yeah, that's yeah, that's really interesting to hear you say. So, in other words, what you're saying is that somebody needs to have um, enough in-body attunement to be able to then. Um, connect with things like hunger and fullness signals or to make food choices that are a good match. Um, so in other words, the, the, the drug or alcohol would, and the, the focus on, um, on, on working on sobriety from those substances would take priority. Is that kind of what I'm hearing? Absolutely. Your sobriety is number one. And then we can look at your relationship with food and body. And there's oftentimes individuals that I, I won't even see because they don't have enough time under their belt because it's just, there's too many loose ends and it's, they're like a loose cannon. Yeah. Um, so what, what do you think that dietitians can learn from the field of addictions and, and bring into practice? Well, I think for, with, you know, from the field of addiction is that it's, it's really important that they even, I mean, let's say they don't have people in their lives that have a history of addiction. I think even going to an Al-Anon meeting and really understanding about 12 step mm -hmm. um, because the, these individuals are learning how to work each step and that's what they will be talking to you about. I'm not saying 12 step with our food, but just when they're discussing it from an addiction standpoint with alcoholism, drug abuse, et cetera. Um, and, and really I think, you know, how I learned to implement, you know, my philosophy because I do intuitive eating with them, but it's like, like if I'm seeing somebody who has, let's say, um, you know, binge eating disorder, let's say, and they're feeling like my body's betrayed me and I'm out of control, like Robin, I, you know, like a lot of foods, but I just don't feel like I can 
be mindful about my food choices, and we'll talk about like what are things that you like that you feel as if you're able to be in charge of versus the food being in charge of you. So those are some of the you know the questions that I will ask these individuals. So it's like you're walking, you're taking your dog on a walk versus is your dog walking you? So I like to be able to pose questions like that. So ultimately the individual feels like, you know what? I'm able to really understand the mind of someone who is trying to get their life in order. Because if once, once this individual, Fiona, like they're most likely in therapy, they have a sponsor, they're really working on their spiritual self. Mm -hmm. I think the longer they have under their belt, then they're receptive to realizing this is going to be a long journey mm -hmm. of working from the inside out. This is not about a quick fix. Mm -hmm. And the person who wants a quick fix I know is not ready and I'm not the right clinician for them. Sure. Yeah. So, so what you're, what you're suggesting is there's a lot we can learn and if we can take it upon ourselves to um, not only engage em empathically with people, but um, maybe seek that first-hand experience of, of going to a meeting and, and finding out as much as we can because um, surely these, um, you know, concurrent experiences must be really common across eating and drug or alcohol. Absolutely. I think... There's, there's more people with eating disorders and, you know, addiction treatment centers that end up in our doorstep. And I have colleagues who will say, I don't really know how to work with them. And, mm -hmm. and those individuals end up then going for the quick fix because the dietitian was not equipped to have the skill set with understanding how to work with them. Yes. And and there are probably ways that we can get drawn into having some unhelpful discussions with people, would you say? Yes, absolutely. And I think it's really, of course, helping them abolish the food rules and that belief system, but also it's empathizing too. Like, you know, this may have worked for them in the past, but if it has, has worked for them, they probably wouldn't be, you know, sitting in our office. Yeah, absolutely. And, and also talking about um, quote unquote what works, you know, because feeling like something quote unquote works, it might be that short term effectiveness, you know, fe feeling like something um, works short term, but then not understanding what are the skills I need to build and what are the things I need to let go of for this to stick. Absolutely. I think it's looking at long term success, not getting back to the beginning and having to relearn. You know, I, I like to be able to have a full toolbox that has, you know, my pliers, my screwdriver, my wrench, my plunger, not just a couple tools. I, I want to be able to feel like I don't have to continuously go to the hardware store. I want to be able to accessorize all these tools that are in my toolbox. Oh, I love that. I love that analogy of pulling all, um, you know, all from different tools and not using all your petrol and using all your energy to keep going to, um, you know, keep going to the grocery store or to the hardware store where you need to keep um, metaphorically buying stuff. Sure. Yeah, I love that. Um, so what would you say are some of the, are some of the main tools that you work with in, uh, with people, Robin? Well, I, I think, you know, one, one of the things is, you know, you mentioned it really being, you know, empathetic and really trying to have them kind of, you know, reflect or deflect on the, what, what they have accomplished in their life and having appreciation and gratitude for that. Because, you know, being in Los Angeles, I think a lot of the people I see, you know, have, have so much entitlement and kind of have forgotten and they're in this constant state of negativity of, you know, they're not at the place physically they want to be at or why me or how come this has happened as opposed to saying, you know what, it's like you're able to walk, you know, you're able to have a roof over your head. And I think it's sort of just kind of focusing on the now of, you know, having your glass be half full versus half empty. And, mm. I, and, 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 you know, probably like yourself, you know, you can describe all you want to a client about how you work, but until they're actually in the hot seat and experiencing this, 
sure, they could learn about food nutrition from, from me. And, and that happens, I would say that's kind of like, you know, the nuts and cherries in my hot fudge sundae. Yes. But they're, they're getting a full ride. They're, they're getting the like super duper hot fudge sundae when they're coming here. I love that. So the nuts and cherries on top is more our nutrition education is what you're saying. Is that right? Oh, Robin, I love that idea of the nuts and the cherries on top of the hot fudge sundae because, well, apart from sundaes just being the best kind of food, it sounds like what you're saying is that what, what kind of is the sprinkling on top is nutrition education. Is that right? Yes. Um, I mean, I, I think anyone can, you know, open up a book or magazine or go online and, and get nutritional information. But when they're coming to see me, I think they're getting, I always like to say, you know, the whole package really being able to focus on, you know, all, all the layers of the Sunday. They're learning how to focus on, you know, all the positives they do in their life, how to reintroduce self-care if that's something lacking, even, you know, daily activities of life, which oftentimes one has forgotten about, even how to learn how to liking themselves, because we always hear about loving themselves, just learning how to like yourself. And, you know, just being able to learn how to be present and in touch with something as simple as putting food on a plate, where I was having this conversation with a client this evening, and we were creating goals and just you've mentioned several times putting food on a plate and just I think it's been years since I've put food on a plate just when I get food to go from a restaurant I'm always eating out of a container I'm eating out of uh, out of a box or out of a frozen meal and I said is it you don't have plates in your home or you don't want to get them dirty or you don't have time she's I just don't think about it and it's just me and just I love seeing all my clean plates clean in the house. I said, well, I said, what about even something as basic of thinking about your self-worth mm. of saying, you know, I deserve to put my food on a plate. Um, just, well, the only time I've ever thought about putting food on a plate is if maybe people were coming over to eat. It's sort of like if you were entertaining, you've guessed it's like they deserve to not eat out of the takeout containers or the frozen entree or <coughs> something that's um you know just coming as it is but you know it's it's nice to be able to actually even focus on it's deserving to be able to come back down to that level so i think people think twice because then there's a higher level of satisfaction and that's so important is to be able to assess our satisfaction level when eating yeah, I, I just love that idea of being able to pull in a variety of different ideas that can enhance people's sense of connection to a meal. So that's actually one that I hadn't thought of, Robin. I, I, I love that, you know, asking people about, um, you know, uh, you know, whether they put their food in a bowl or a plate, because sometimes as dietitians, we might get a little locked into the idea of, you know, maybe we put things on plate to assess portion sizes or things like that, you know, which can get a little bit instructive, can't it? I don't talk about that at all. I talk about that from being able to learn how to connect with your body, learning how to dine with your body. I mean, one of my favorite analogies to give is for many of us, um, your, your mind is in Mexico and your body is in Tahiti. And how oh, we yes. can <laughs> sink them both together to be in the same place. And people seem to always be intrigued when I say that because it's like, you know, you're, you're oftentimes, it's like you could be eating dinner and before you've even sat down to eat dinner, you're already off to wondering, well, am I having dessert after? Am I going to have another meal versus learning how to be in the moment, being in the now? Yes. Yes. Uh, now, Robin, I hope you don't mind if I, if I steal that uh, if I, well, I might not steal it. I might borrow it or loan that analogy. I love how you're saying dine with your body because I guess that invitation of being present with what is, whether that's pleasant or unpleasant or, um, you know, delicious or not so delicious, a, 
a, a meal that's familiar or unfamiliar. I guess that really invites people to just connect with the sensations just as they are. And I can imagine that really enhances their, as you say, that satisfaction, um, but also connection with the um, uh, appetite signals as well. Sure. I mean, I think not only with our, you know, our appetite signals, but also I think we forget about um, other, other sensory signals like, you know, the smell, um, you know, even, you know, the visual presentation, remembering, you know, perhaps where this food came from, how it was, you know, developed, and, and just thinking agriculturally, or just all the elements, how it got to the place that it came from. Mm -hmm. So those are elements I like to incorporate when we're looking at the whole picture. And how receptive do you find clients are with um, to take discussions in this direction? I think clients that really want to do the work are receptive. Sort of like we were discussing before with someone that's wanting something quick and fast, mm. they're not receptive to this. However, when I have individuals that are coming to me that will originally say, oh, I want to lose weight. And then they really understand since I work with intuitive eating and health at every size when they understand that it's not about the weight. It's mm -hmm. about changing the ways they have utilized food and seafood and engage in, in eating. Clients of mine that have many years of sobriety under their belt oftentimes have a lot of parallels that they can relate to that are similar of when they were engaging in their addiction. So they're really patient and wanting to kind of um, be a sponge and, you know, take in anything that I have to say. But again, not everybody's at that place. Sure. Yeah, sure. I think it depends on the person who I'm able to kind of go in my, you know, different, you know, my toolbox and grab a different tool for. Yeah. So if you meet somebody who isn't ready, how do you approach that? Well, I really assess, you know, the, their place of readiness. And I certainly will let them know I, I work with them with where they're at. And it's yeah. about being on their timetable, not mine. And I've really learned this over the many, many years I've been in practice. And I, you know, I like to say, and it was actually one of the things I brought up, I know you're asking me, earlier on here before we started to record about my IDEP presentation. But one of the things I always say, and I use a lot of sport analogies being an athlete my whole life, but I think with anyone I see, and this just came up, it's sort of like, it's, it's kind of like a long endurance tennis match, mm. whether I'm seeing someone with, you know, chronic anorexia nervosa or being a chronic dieter. I, you know, when I was a college tennis player, Fiona, um, the, you know, gals I played back then didn't like playing me because I was always in it for the long run. And what was wonderful about me back in those days is that, you know, I had stamina and aerobically I could outdo them. So I would wear them out back and forth. And it's kind of like, with the client, I'm in it for the long run, whether they will sit down and buckle, you know, in their seatbelt and say, okay, I'm going to hang in there because it's like, you know, you're in that roller coaster, you're going up and down. Sometimes you're going to leave and say, I'm not happy with what she said today. And other times it's like, yeah, this is great. And I think that's part of any relationship. There's times that you're feeling really positive. Other times, you're very emotional, and I think that's really where the work begins. I really like what you said about you know being with your being with your client, you know, and walking alongside them as they're walking that path towards wellness, whatever that means to them. I wonder, Robin, you know, what that offers to them. I wonder, you know, how that feels to them that you are that you're saying, "I'm here with you. I will stand beside you. Um, it won't always be easy, but what?" You know, what, what message do you think clients receive when we are able to just be with them 
regardless? I think many of them are surprised and find that refreshing when they have had many people bail on them throughout their lives, whether it be parents, it be partners, it be uh, bosses in their jobs, and to know someone who may not have known them as long is dedicated to them. Mm. And, you know, I'm, I'm so passionate about what <clears throat> I do. I mean, 20 years later, you know, I, I had a, a, a girl that I saw yesterday. It was our third visit. And she says, do you, do you have any children? And because I see you have the pictures of your dogs up. And she says, and I know you have a husband. Do you have children? I said, you're my child. And, <laughs> and she got all teary-eyed. She says, but you don't really know me. She says, she says well, the first, first day, and, and I see her for her anorexia. She says, well, when, you know, after you, you took my vitals and blind way and, you know, coming from, um, you know, working in a medical center, I have a mom who's a nurse. You know, I've, I've always been taught, you know, with the, you know, Purell and the hand wipes. And so she sees, you know, I sanitize my hands and I give her a hand wipe and, and then I say, oh, I can take yours. And I put, you know, I ask her to put hers in my hand, which already has a hand wipe. She's, you're so nurturing. You're just like a mother. And I said, well, I treat all my clients like they're my family and they're my children. And I think it's just who I am, Fiona. And I want each mm. person to know that, like, this is a safe place for them. And because so many people don't get that in the outside world. Mm. Oh, what a precious gift, Robin. You know, what, a, what an amazing offering that is to, to treat every single client, regardless of, of what they're coming with. and All um, of them. All yeah. of them, every single one. Because that sense of seeing somebody's humanity and seeing their worth is honestly, it doesn't cost us a cent, does it? No. It's, and you know what? It's, and I have to tell you, I mean, probably like you, I have a lot of very difficult people. Mm -hmm. I have a lot of high maintenance people. I have a lot of high, high profile people and they're all treated exactly the same. Mm. It's like Beautiful. your money is not better. Your fame is not better. It's like we are all human. We all have baggage and problems. Mm. Mm. Oh, I just think that's just the most amazing gift you can give. I really, I really, really do. And it, and it helps people also to be able, you're so welcome, um, to be able to then walk out of your room or, or walk out of your office and to be able to enter the world and to then offer that gift to others as well, particularly maybe people who are treated differently, maybe because they're well, well known or maybe because of their body size, maybe they're particularly large, maybe they're particularly small. Um, so for people who are treated maybe um, in a certain way, I suppose, you know, that's just, you know, that's an invitation to, to pass that on as well. So, you know, it can, we can only do good by, by treating people well. For sure. I mean, I, I think, you know, pe people are the first to give negative comments and treat people poorly. And I think I've had, you know, so many people that have been very giving and positive to me in my life. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I have, you know, you know, a wonderful mother and, you know, I had a wonderful father and it's, it doesn't do anything if you just hang on to it yourself. You have to give it back. Yeah. And this is one of the special things about working in eating disorders, isn't it? That we have this really unique opportunity to reintroduce people back to life, a full life. For sure. Well, and that's, I think, one of the exciting things is, you know, for me, I know, you know, I can make a difference. And seeing mm. that I have and I can continue to over 20 years, that's the best and exciting part for me, especially when I'm able to see an individual begin living their lives when they have stopped living it, whether it's, you know, going to volunteer at an animal shelter or make a date with a friend they haven't seen in a long time. I mean, it's, it's great to be able to listen to a client and just, oh, I think, you know, I want, I'm going to start looking at, you know, the idea of applying for jobs. I'm like, that's great. I think mm. you should bring that up to the rest of your team. Yeah. That's You're the first awesome. person I'm telling this to, Robin. I was like, great. 
oh, isn't that awesome? It's such a special feeling when, when your clients say, you're the first person I'm telling you this. You know, it's, it feels so special and really, um, you know, encourages us to, um, you know, prioritize the relationships that we, that we formulate from the very moment that it's not even, it's not even really from the moment they step into the room, is it? It's from the moment that they make an inquiry, perhaps. Yeah. Definitely. I mean, I think it takes a lot of courage to make that first phone call, especially if there's ambivalence, mm. you know, maybe an individual who's looked at one's website or they've had some additional, you know, pushing from a doctor or a psychotherapist or a friend, but it all comes down to that, that person's, uh, you know, mind, body, and soul of, of essentially being ready to, to make that call and physically come in. Yes. I think you mentioned, you know, having that courage to make that phone call. So if we can be um, really super duper, super respectful of, um, you know, the courage that takes, because I, I know, and I'm sure you have too, Robin, heard, you know, many stories of people who, who had the courage to make the phone call and then didn't have a good experience. Um, yeah you know, maybe felt dismissed or felt, um, you know, just, it, or maybe it was a bit of bad luck in terms of they just didn't find the right person or, um, and unfortunately that can delay recovery for years. Absolutely. I mean, it's, it's wonderful that our network of, you know, health at every size and intuitive eating registered dietitians is growing, but unfortunately we're, we're still, you know, a smaller minority mm. of what people still associate registered dietitians. You know, when I say registered dietitian nutritionists, at least here, you know, it's, it's cause that's what it is now through the Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics. It's, it's very confusing for people. And then when you throw in, let's say, you know, a, a CEDRD, a certified eating disorder registered dietitian, I think people still associate like a traditional dietitian who gives you a diet, a meal plan. They talk about food mm. groups. It's, I mean, all, all the time, I mean, this is going on now with a, a psychologist that I'm sharing a case with that was referred to me by a psychiatrist. And I'm, I'm seeing this gentleman for his binge eating disorder. And from, from the get-go, I had explained my philosophy to the psychologist and she has been the longtime psychologist of this gentleman for his addiction. And she says, Oh, it sounds great. You know, intuitive eating. And you know, a lot of clinicians will say that, but then when they understand what I'm doing. So when I saw the client last week and his binging has reduced, he's really, you know, feeling confident, embracing what he's doing. And he says, well, my psychologist keeps asking, have I lost weight? Oh, and I was yeah. just and, um, and, and um, she'd email me saying, well, Robin, I think you should just focus on talking about the food. I'm the psychologist. Well, I'm not trying to be here. And it's, it's so difficult, Fiona, when other clinicians are not intuitive eating or health at every size conscious clinicians, mm. and they feel threatened, like you're going to take their client away, which not, he's got, you know, a person in mental health that he's consulting with and they can't be a part of your team to collaborate with you. Mm. It's like they're an ally essentially, which is disheartening because then it's sort of like the stigma in, in mental health or healthcare comes in. Mm. You think like, you know what? It'd be wonderful if you're able to collaborate always with like-minded clinicians but that's not always the case. You can't pick who's on your team with that client. Hmm. Yes. Yeah, I, I agree. I've had I've had some oh, I've had some wonderful luck, to be honest, just stumbling across people who really uh, I just say who get it, you know. And yeah. um and my, my business partner is um she's a psychotherapist and a yoga teacher, so she's she really, really gets it and fully health at every size. Yeah. Um, You've got the whole package. Excellent. I, yeah, absolutely. Very, very, very lucky. Um, and But certainly if somebody comes your way via somebody else and, and you're not the person to make the referral on to the therapist, then, yeah, it can be really tricky. I certainly have been in that position where, you know, maybe it's been primary care physicians or, um, or therapists who have... Um, who have 
yeah, not not um, not come on board when it comes to weight neutral care, um, or you know, or supporting intuitive eating principles. So he does. It makes it so tricky, and unfortunately. Um, the the person who lucks out is the client because they get so confused. Should I be focusing on weight or not? Should I be focusing on food or not? So it's, it's frustrating for them more than anything else, I think. Oh, absolutely. I mean, fortunately, at least we'll see how it goes this Saturday when I see him. But fortunately with this client, he's like, you know what? I'm very happy with how things are progressing and and it's difficult when someone is not as receptive and they feel torn and they end up then colluding with that clinician so you know what it's like I know in my heart that this is the right way and how many people over you know two decades I've been able to successfully help but yes. you know what you you can't convince everybody they you're i'm here to be of service to the client it's not about that you know clinician sure so it's, it's yep. um but, but also i don't know how it is in australia in, in los angeles you know there's so many kinds of clinicians and it's super saturated so this is something that one always runs into unfortunately right so a therapist on every corner of every corner of every corner is that right <laughs> oh for sure yeah <laughs> ridiculous yeah everybody has a therapist and if you don't then you need one is that right <laughs> yes it's very LA <laughs> okay very LA okay so so therapists and maybe dietitians will never be out of business so hear, hear this student dietitians move to LA if you want a job I guess <laughs> um, yeah, you, Robin, you gotta really be strong in your skills for sure and, and be ready to, yeah. to go in the boxing ring to be you know feel strong with with what you're talking about so you're not you know drowning you know, drowning definitely <laughs> yeah that's it and it, we all have to start from somewhere but um yeah i think it's uh you know one of um one of the dietitians who I supervise said to me only last week, she comes from more a traditional way of working as a dietitian and she, um, you know, has gradually kind of made her way over into being really, a, a, you know, hundred percent health at every size. And she was, we were doing some reflecting last week and she said to me, you know, once I saw it, I couldn't unsee it. And I often, um, you know, often think that's a beautiful way to put it is once you see and once you understand, you can't kind of, you can't go back. You, you can't go back now. Absolutely. I mean, I, I knew Fiona from when I started my career, you know, many, many years ago, I was like the black sheep of dietitians working in, in the medical center because essentially there was the politics and how to work with the patients. So when I, when I started my career is when the first edition of intuitive eating came out. Okay. So that's, that tells you, you know, how long ago. <laughs> yeah. And so I would, you're, you're laughing, but it's true. So, so I would, I would, you know, do the, you know, politics of what was necessary in the hospital, you know, with the quote unquote, the meal plan of someone who, you know, had had a heart attack. And then I would be in the room saying, well, so like, what does that feel like in your body? And, and so when it ended up, you know, I would be charting these notes and, and I would, you know, get confronted by the chief clinical dietitian, like, what does this mean? Like, how does this feel in your body? And, <laughs> you know, what are you craving? And so I was like ahead of my time yes. then. And it was, it was really um, like, well, this is not what we do at this medical center. It was, it was really like, because I knew like the hospital is a place to get well, not really to counsel people. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. this, this was when it was, it was really um, like, I knew, okay, I've learned what I needed to learn and these different, you know, medical areas, because when I see people with health problems, all of them I tie in intuitive eating. So whether I'm seeing someone with, you know, diabetes or kidney issues, it's like they're all doing it. So I love that. And I think there's a lot there to learn for our, for the students that might be listening or for our younger graduates. Um, I, 
not, not graduates aren't always younger. I mean, just our graduates. Um, yeah. Because that's a question I get asked a lot is, you know, so I'm expected to tick the boxes of the traditional dietetic kind of consultation. How on earth do I weave this in? And I think you've just given us a beautiful summary of exactly how you weave it in. It's not always, you don't always have to be whispering this stuff. It's, it's not, you know, oh, say, say the, the stuff I quote unquote should be saying as a dietitian out loud and then whisper this stuff behind your hand. It's all part of an effective dietetic consultation. And, and certainly I think it's fair to say that some people in some situations, um, particularly maybe primary medical settings, uh, might not be able to do this as thoroughly as we might have the privilege to do in private practice. But there, like you say, Robert, there is always ways that you can practice those skills and you can weave it in. It's called, I call it haze by stealth. <laughs> haze by what? Stealth. Haze by stealth. Yeah. So coming in the side door rather than going front on. <laughs> oh yeah. That's great. Yes. Hmm. Yeah. No, I, I definitely do do a lot of things from, from, from the back end of things. It's, mm -hmm. it's like a salesman asking you a question and you've turned them down many different times and they keep asking you and like, Oh, I'm going to wear this person out. So it's kind of like your way of saying you're, you're doing haze, you know, from, from the back end, essentially. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And, and, you know, of course, meeting, meeting, meeting people where they're at, as we spoke about um, sure. previously. Yeah. Um, Robin, I wanted to ask you, I know that um, recently there was the uh, International Academy of Eating Disorder Professionals Conference, which was held in Las Vegas. I was extremely envious to see so many incredible uh, colleagues of ours there doing amazing presentations and putting on um, sombreros and uh, drinking margaritas and... Uh, I was very jealous. So, but I know that you presented there. So can you tell us a little bit about uh, what you presented, please? So I presented on treating the chronically ill anorexic patient. Mm -hmm. um, I think that's, that's an area that, you know, a lot of our colleagues may not have as much experience with, especially if, if they're newer in the profession or, um, you know, I think individuals perhaps that have worked in eating disorder treatment centers, they might be a little more familiar with it. That that was actually, that was, that was the topic. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Were you presenting on your own or with somebody else? So I, I presented with a colleague of mine that I've been working with for 15 years. Um, so we, we seem to see a lot of very challenging, reoccurring, what I like to call frequent flyer clients. Mm, frequent flyers. Um, so Yes, yeah, so we, we did this presentation at um, one of the local IOPs um, at, at the Center for Discovery, and we kind of did our test run of it and had a, a big turnout, but we uh, modified it and made it longer and certainly a little more clinical because I think it was necessary to do so, and I think it was, you know, very well attended and really, I think, gave, you know, individuals um, from a you know psychotherapy standpoint, how she works with them, and then from you know the you know nutritional standpoint, how I work with them, and and then the latest research on what she presented, and it was an hour and fifteen presentation, and it was it was great. Oh wow! It always feels like too short, doesn't it, to be covering such a a big topic, really? Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, you know, that's that's to me, you know, not long enough, but it was great to you know, get, get the feelers out there and hopefully what their appetites wanting more. Yeah, definitely. So what were some of the main, if, if, if you don't mind, what are some of the main points you think that are important if, if somebody has a new client who, a, new, a client that's new to them that, that has a chronic disease like anorexia and has seen maybe lots of different dietitians, what are the, what's the most important things that people need to understand about long-standing anorexia? Um, well, so actually within it, and maybe I'll approach it from just, I'll, I'll kind of jump into like, you know, a lot of us as registered dietitians, we always want to talk about food challenges. Like with someone who is, you know, you know, who's the chronic, you know, individual who has anorexia nervosa, and this is someone who's been in a treatment center a minimum of 10 times, just to kind of be clear with what that means. So 
you know, we are like, as I, as I call it, we're in survival mode. We're just trying to obtain calories in their diet. Mm -hmm. So this is not like, Oh, we're going to do a food challenge. We're not doing a food challenge. Mm -hmm. It's really, um, being able to get, you know, the sufficient calories in or we're not doing, you know, meal outings because I do a quite a bit of that in my practice in general. It's, it's really, looking at, you know, essentially how to keep the individual alive, which is such a big ordeal. Um, it's, it's really like a lot of what, you know, we spoke about is like whatever works because sometimes the client, you know, won't see the dietitian. So then Greta, Greta is my colleague. Greta will be, you know, she now has a skill in her office. Like she will be blind weighing them. She doesn't know about, the vitals, but I spoke quite a bit about, you know, the vitals because I do, you know, quite a bit of that. Um, but it's, it's really trying to work on what are going to be foods that feel safe and comfortable that would be weight restorative. Um, because within this, this is really what we call like long-term palliative care mm. and all the individuals that are a part of the team. And, I think a lot of individuals in, in our profession are not familiar with that term, especially if they've never worked in a medical care setting. And for like those listeners that don't know what that is, like palliative care, like that makes me think of when I worked in the medical center, someone that has a chronic illness such as cancer or HIV um, or even like MS or ALS, something that they're really just, trying to fight for their life. So with, you know, many of these clients, they don't even have, like they, they are professional eating disorder patients. That's what they do. They don't work. They don't go to school. They've been in and out of treatment for many, many years. That's all they know. Mm. And so for, for me, it's really trying to help them, you know, look beyond their eating disorder and focus on the positives because so often with these clients, they have changed from treatment team to treatment team mm. and that will result in a lower success rate of them down the road to be recovered. Mm. And, and the other thing is, and I hear this so often, Fiona, from registered dietitians that have not had much experience is that they're assessing success as a client who has been restoring their weight. Like, Oh, okay. Let's see how it's been this week. Let's see what it is next week. Mm. But there's other elements too that can be viewed as success, especially when this is someone who's been chronically ill so it's kind of like our, our layer to our Sunday. And I think it's, it's one of the things that I, you know, focus on with clients like, you know, this, this one person that I was just mentioning to you with the, the hand wipes, who I would say is someone, I mean, she's been in eight treatment centers and she's pretty sick. And, you know, we were discussing, you know, she's got like maybe eight or nine foods that feel safe and comfortable. We're working on increasing her intake of those. And to, and so I had said to her, because it's like, I don't know her very well yet. And she's someone ultimately I would love to be able to do like eating in the office with. And, and so right now, you know, she came um, the other day with her Gatorade, which was like amazing because she's constantly dehydrated. And to the, to the point, Fiona, that with all these clients, they have difficulty concentrating, engaging. And these are not old people where you feel like, do I have dementia? Like something's mm -hmm. wrong with my brain. It's like my brain cells are shrinking. They're, mm -hmm. you know, compromised. So um, when I, I had brought up the idea, I said something like a smoothie. And she's like, Robin, it's liquid calories. Um the idea, she's like, this is big. She's like, I'm drinking the Gatorade so I can try to 
concentrate. This yeah. person went back to school. She's in her thirties. And I said, well, I said, I'm just planting the seed down the road. I said, maybe we could have a smoothie together. She's like, maybe. And I said, well, you know, people that have normal relationships with food, I said, drink smoothies. She's, do you drink smoothies? I said, yeah, I'll drink a smoothie. I said, would you drink one with me? I said, I'll get it for us. She goes, okay, well, I'll think about it. And so it's like the idea of, I mean, I think it's different. Like if you're engaging and doing this with that person, because it's these clients are so, so fragile. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, it sounds like, um, so what you're saying is it's, it's, it's really on a completely different level. You're, you're really planting seeds for future behavior, keeping them connected with what would be regarded as a natural relationship with food and reminding them what's most important in life so that they can not get too bogged down in life with the eating disorder or life being identified as the eating disorder. Definitely. Because you know, Fiona, they have such few relationships, so few relationships and such few times of interacting with people. Mm -hmm. So to know, because what, what they do is they all, they spend their days going to appointments. Oh yeah. That's that's all they do. Mm -hmm. So, and, and also, And they know there's things wrong. Like the idea, like today, I mean, it was like 80 degrees here. And I had someone who had asked if, if I could turn my heater on, I'm thinking like, okay, it's like my office is either warm or cold. I'm thinking it's like warm in my office. And so it's like, you know, something is wrong. The idea, I thought, okay, because, you know, for this person, like, okay, I'll put my heater on for her. I was like dying. (laughs) But you know what? I have to be of service. If this person wants heat, I mean, half the time I have my air cranking, but I thought, okay, these people, I'm shutting the air off. It's, it's very, it's, it's such a different dynamic than our other clients. Yes, it yes, it is absolutely. And I guess you know we're all we're all quite nice people, but seriously, you don't want to be spending your whole lives with us. You want to be go, getting out there and having relationships with other people in the community and getting involved in meaningful activities and um and using your valuable skills. Do you know what I find Robin is and it makes me actually makes me feel sad and it makes me feel very angry actually that um universally 100% of my clients who have eating disorders are wonderful, lovely, kind, intelligent, um, incredible people who have got so much to give to the world. And I have to be really mindful as a practitioner not to get too bogged down in in feeling angry or feeling too angry or sad about that. But geez, it's hard, honestly. Yeah, I think I've, I've learned and this might not, you know, this is just kind of what it is. I remember from you know, working in the medical center, this, you know, don't get attached. Don't get attached to the patients. And, you know, I'm, I'm like, I love people. I'm a personable person. I talk to everyone. That's just who I am. And within it, as you said, and I remember saying, I'm not going to get attached. I'm not going to get attached. And I had had, like when I worked in the hospital, I'd had, you know, people that would come and go and I got to know because I was on you know, the, the cardiology floor and there was one man that was there for many months waiting for, he was on the list for a heart transplant. And I remember every time you'd hear the helicopter he, and I would like come by his room and say, Robin, do you think that's my heart? Oh, you know? And, and then I remember one day they had told me he passed away and I, I was like, the one time in my career, Fiona, I, I went to a patient's funeral and I was like, wow, I went with the social worker of on my floor and I thought, oh my gosh, like I had some sort of attachment. Mm-hmm. So here, and I, and I, you know, really take pride in my boundaries. Like I'm invited to weddings and baby shots. It's like, I don't go to anything. The only thing is like, if we have a meal session out, this is work. I'm not going to lunch with you if you're not my client anymore. I mean, it's like, I don't want these people to be my friends. You know what I mean? It's like, they are my clients. So it's, I think I've really taken a heart to 
how what was said to me when I worked in the hospital. So I don't know if you've you know thought of it that way because it's hard not to have that attachment because it's a relationship. You see them week after week, and yeah, you know, they know absolutely about you. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I suppose I think about it more that um, more what I have to be watching out for is being too invested in their wellness, being more invested in their wellness than they are, you know, um, because I can think of a handful of clients who I'm like, oh, my God, can you please get well? The world needs you. Seriously. And, and I think there have been <laughs> there have definitely been situations where I have said that out loud um, because I have had such a good, you know, a solid solid kind of relationship with them and of course I say it in jest but it's not in jest I'm being serious and um, yeah so I think there's that sense of having of spending such precious precious time with people and they're, they're really trusting you with their um, with their with their lives really sometimes literally yeah. their lives of course yeah it's yeah well, sometimes they tell you things nobody else knows and right. the, especially if they have trauma and they've really opened up and taking you to a dark place and that's like so sacred. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, that's so true. I mean, the, the things that you find out about um, other fellow human beings is, I think it changes you in lots of ways. Um, yeah, I guess I'd be interested in, in hearing a bit about, you know, how do, how do you think that working in, as a specialist in eating disorders, how do you think it's, it's changed you? Well, it's definitely taught me to be more patient, mm -hmm. um, I think, in, in life. Because, of course, if we are impatient, these clients would not stick around. And I think, you know, in every day, Fiona, it just really allows me to be so thankful for my own health and how my body has not failed me and it works and it allows me to get from point A to point B and I can ride my bike and I can swim and I can play with my dog. I can do it. I mean, it's, um, it's just our, our, our bodies we take for granted. It's just an, an amazing operating piece of machinery, essentially. Absolutely. And, you know, I think until something devastating happens to a person or a loved one is when sometimes you know individuals think twice and they treat themselves differently and and the longer that i've been around and the older that i get i i really um just have such a different perspective and outlook and what i want in my own life and well-being and um even just in my own future, because I see how a lot of these individuals are walking time bombs. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So if, if I was to meet you as a new graduate versus obviously meeting you now, what would I notice is fundamentally different? Would you say like in terms of the way you practice or what you believe or, you know, what's, what's different about Robin Goldberg over the, over the time that you've been a dietitian? several things. When I started out, I think like anyone starting out, you would say, you know, someone would say like, Oh, Fiona, I have a referral. Would you see this person? Would you see that person? And you would say, yes, yes, yes. Yes. <laughs> to everyone. Yep. And, yep. You know, because of course you want the business, you want to get your name out there. And now, you know, years, years later with a little gray, you know, Hey, <laughs> maybe, yeah, you can be a little, you know, choosy who you want to see, or perhaps this isn't in your area of scope of practice. Yes. And I'm constantly referring out mm -hmm. versus, you know, we don't have to be experts in everything. Yes. Yes. Yep. And, and I really think, you know what, like for me, I, you know, I've been mentoring, you know, a number of younger starting out dietitians, like, you know what? this could be someone for them. And, and when I started out, it's like, I was seeing like 50 to 60 people a week. Mm -hmm. I mean, ridiculous amounts and to me and, and, you know, and now it's probably like 35 and, and, and I, because I think what's happened is 
they're more complicated, they're more cute. And I feel like that's fine. This, you know, these people are pretty intense on the longer I've been around, the more complex they are. And I think that's what I've become known as. And that's great. So I don't need the volume. It's to me more, it's like the problems they have, bring them on. That's, that's my wheelhouse. Ah, uh, yes. So in other words, you're a specialist in complexity. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's not a, not a bad issue to have, I guess. It's, you know, of course, there are days where you think, oh, my gosh, I'm just going to take down my business sign right now and I need a holiday. Um, but um, but I'm sure we, we're, all re, we're all very grateful for, um, for our colleagues who will, you know, get in there and 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 really go to, go into bat for people who are really dealing with some very very complex and difficult uh, life stuff. So so thank you, Robin, for being so open to to complexity, and thank you for being such an amazing leader amongst dietitians too. So not only within the US but also worldwide too, because um, your your experience is absolutely invaluable. It really is, and um, just you know, as somebody who's you know, not, not, not that much younger than you. I think we, you know, we've got so much respect for people like you and Evelyn Triboli and Elise Resch. And yeah. of course I'm, I'm naming all the LA diet, dietitians um, yeah. completely by accident, of course. Um, but that uh, there's, you know, there's still so much to learn, which is, well, personally, I think that's the best thing about being an eating disorders and eating behavior or eating psychology or, you know, whatever you want to call it. You know, we never, we never stop learning. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, that's, that's it. I mean, I think the more complex they are, it's not like, oh, this is a slam dunk. It's keeping me on my toes. Yes. And, and I think that's what's, you know, allowing me to want to continue to always, you know, get better and better. It's sort of like, you know, the tennis match. I, I wanted to, to be even, you know, more intense and allowing me to you know, improve my game because I feel like we can always learn from our clients and what, what can I upon? I can, you know, you know, discuss this with a client. I can bring this up in, you know, a supervision group. I think it's just allowing me to really just keep my pencils sharpened to the best they can be. Yes. I love that. That's really great. Yeah. Keeping your pencil sharpened. You've you've um, given so many beautiful little quotes. Um, I don't know. I just thought of yes. all of these. Oh, <laughs> my well. toolbox one I always use, and my tennis one. But yeah, thank I love, you. I love the tennis one. I love the um, dine with your body. I love the dog walking or dog walking you. Oh yeah, my dining with my body. That's a yeah. Funny and I also love. We can call it our um, our hot fudge Sunday analogy. Yeah. How's that? Yeah. Uh huh. <laughs> Sunday. Definitely. Yeah. Love it. Oh, Robin, it's been such a pleasure chatting with you today. And thank you so, so much for uh, giving up your time. I know it's, it must be getting quite late in LA at the moment. So I just really, really appreciate um, having a chat with you. And uh, well, I have learned so much about you today, which has been an enormous privilege. And um, I really look forward to seeing you later on in the year when we're both at the Binge Eating Disorder Conference. Yes, Fiona. Me, me too. I look forward to giving you a big hug. And I really thank you so much for having me on. Oh, you're so welcome, Robin. Radio, I'll see you soon. Okay. Well, that's our episode of the Mindful Dietitian interview series for today. Thank you so much to our wonderful guest and to you for listening. I really hope you enjoyed it. Just a reminder that you can find me over on the website www.themindfuldietitian.com.au and please join actually quite a large group of wonderful and enthusiastic dietitians on the closed Facebook group, The Mindful Dietitian. The music you hear is called Happiness from Ben Sound, used under the Creative Commons license. Have a great day, everyone.